Hello everyone, welcome to Jaffa Takes, the podcast where we cover and rewatch Stargate SG-1 uh, and also the rest of Stargate eventually, and uh, sometimes it's a big lore bomb of an episode where a lot of aliens are uh, alluded to without being like explicitly named, but uh, a lot of foreshadowing happens uh, for the future of uh, everything in this universe. Uh, so I'm your host, Simon, and joining me today we have Eric... Hello. And M. Oh. So, yeah, uh, this is season one, episode 10, The Torment of Tantalus. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a doozy because, uh, this, this one, uh, <laughs> brings back, you know, Catherine from the movie in her first, uh, series, regular series appearance. We have flashbacks to, the 1940s, we have a, a planet where just a whole bunch of stuff happens. It's also the first Daniel-centric episode of the series. Uh, so uh, let's get right down to it. Um, so we open in the past, which we immediately know be- because we have a little jazzy music sting uh, as, the, as the episode opens. It's like the Stargate theme, but played with clarinets and like soft sax and stuff. It's 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 kind of nice, um, but uh, yeah, we know like we're in the past because we have we we see the Stargate being turned by someone yanking on some handles that have apparently been screwed onto this thing, and we see people in forties lab coats and suits and stuff, and it's ever so slightly sepia toned to really signify that we're in the past. Um, basically, uh, people in the past are turning the Stargate and, uh, trying to charge it with big old breakers on the wall each time it's one of the Chevrons is, is lined up, uh, to try to turn it on. Which is, you know, a kind of scene you might imagine, uh, had happened at some point because, you know, it, it took, the, the Stargate was in storage for like 60 years or 70 years before, uh, Daniel figured it out and they went to Abydos, but, uh, they, they, they weren't just sitting on it in that time. Uh, I guess you, you do see some like military looking people in there. So I guess the, the U.S. Air Force or wait, no, there was there even an Air Force during World War II? I don't know about this. They were uh, part the, of the, uh, army. Yeah, U.S. Okay, Army so, Air Force. Yeah, yeah, U.S. Army in those days was already like in control of this, uh, of the Stargate. Uh, but yeah, of course, we, as we know, as, as we've known this whole time, no one actually managed to turn it on until Daniel came around and figured out the symbols. And presumably they had better electrical equipments and computers to dial the Stargate and stuff, which they didn't have back then. 
Uh, but we're about to find out that's not quite true, because uh, uh, there's a nice transition from uh, this footage where we get uh, like a, a more uh, <laughs> an actual CPU CPU filter on top of it, and then it zooms out of a computer monitor, and we see that it's Daniel watching this stuff. Um, it's very funny that this this old once we cut to the old footage, and like mm-hmm. we see it on the TV, it's still mm-hmm. being edited like a modern TV show. Oh yeah, so someone so like someone filmed that which was like already classified even back then clearly because it was in the Pentagon's vaults. Uh someone filmed it, someone edited that film into a coherent like uh cinematographic uh thing because uh, hang on, I'm I'm actually looking back at it without skipping around to see if they cut or anything. Or yeah, okay. So they do cut from close-ups, and uh, we 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 actually get a third-person shot of the cameraman uh, filming this. So it go it goes from uh, non-diegetic to diegetic, weirdly enough. But we we see the filter be applied and zoom out of the compu- of, of the monitor, and then it cuts some more. So uh, <laughs> we're yeah, to who, assume whoever whoever converted this to VHS like decided to try editing it for editing it first. Oh, that 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 seems like a a bad thing to do when you're sending this video over to Daniel Jackson of the SGC who wants to just know everything there is to know. Like you wouldn't want to redact or edit this stuff unless there's even more classified stuff in there you don't know about, which uh, we're going to get to in a second because the fact that someone filmed, someone edited and someone found this found these films and transferred them to VHS and then sent them over to Daniel implies a kind of a a chain of ownership of this video where anyone along the way could have or would have seen it but somehow uh, none of those people uh saw the very important thing that happens at the end of this video um it seems really anyway. unnecessary for them to add in the America's funniest home video Sound effects, <laughs> yeah, the whew, the slide whistles and stuff, and the the. Oh boy, I hope this portal doesn't close. <laughs> yeah, boink. Um. So yeah, Daniel is watching it uh, in the briefing room, and uh, O'Neill walks in and says, "Hey, what's up?" And Daniel says, "Hey, uh, there's this box of stuff that the Pentagon sent over, sent over. So apparently, the Pentagon was on a." Uh, declassification kick or whatever so they were going through their archives to figure out what was to be put out to the public uh and then they found a box we gotta get rid of some of these classified stuff we gotta put the new classified stuff in here right (laughs) now that we have a stargate program there's we just we're we're out of room in our vault and we're still dealing with 90s technology so we we can't just easily digitize everything yet Um, it's not necessarily that they're declassifying it it's just the SG-1 team now has a legitimate need to know, so they get to uh, have that information. Yeah, th- yeah, there, there is that, but it's not, like, the, the way Daniel explains it, it's like the Pentagon just found this box and sent it over to them because, because they were like, oh, we found this stuff, the SGC is going to want this because it's about them. So they just, like, sealed up that box and sent it over to Colorado without even looking at it. Uh, even though, as mentioned, someone had, at some point in the 80s or 90s, had to pick up those films and put them onto VHS tapes. Uh, so presumably there would be someone there who would have seen them and figured out, hey, uh, this target we're trying to open, they did that in the past. Maybe we should look at this. Um Cause yeah, that that's that's the last thing. As O'Neill is about to leave the room and leave Daniel to his 
uh, to his nerditude watching this video. Uh, he turns around one last time and Daniel turns up the volume when they realize that on the video, plain as day, they see that they've turned on the Stargate. Uh, it's, they've established a wormhole, stuck someone in a big old di- metal diving suit with the big daddy helmet and everything and sent this per- person through the Stargate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, know, I know the real reason why they didn't send this footage there just to the mm-hmm. SDC earlier because mm-hmm. it was, it was lit, it was filed under Doorway to Heaven. <laughs> yeah, it was under D. That's a completely different like room from the S section where all the Stargate stuff is. So like there was just just a big old archive blunder right there. Um, <laughs> yeah, they had to work their way through the seas, and so uh-huh. first there was a covenant, comma arc of. <laughs> yeah, there was that. There was there. The, a good thing they didn't get to the X quite yet because, like, the X Files wing is a whole building next to the Pentagon, uh, just for that part of the X uh, Files. Wow, that's that's literally why well, it's called a, that, isn't it? That's, that's an entire <laughs> that's an entirely different agency. That's the, that's the FBI. Oh, stuff. that's the FBI. You're right, and the FBI obviously wouldn't communicate any of that their stuff with the Pentagon. Uh, I actually that that might be a plot point in the X Files. I wouldn't know. I haven't watched much of it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they sent uh, this guy through in a big old diving suit with uh, like an oxygen pipe or, or an oxygen hose tied to him. Uh, they they send him through the Stargate, and then the Stargate shuts off, cutting off the oxygen hose uh, and like a rope also that they were holding him him with, and it just cuts off. And uh, you see people on the on the video kind of freak out and go, "Wait, what's going on?" And that's it for the cold open because Daniel and O'Neill both realize at the same time it's extremely significant that uh, 50 years ago that they they did manage to turn on the Stargate and somehow told nobody about it and no one has known this whole time that this happened uh they keep on not like the the, because when we come back uh from the from the the show's opening uh we're at Catherine's house which seems like a very nice house somewhere and daniel is being driven there by what looks like an air force motorcade to go and visit her and there, there hasn't been a scene in the middle of it where they tell general hammond about this or anything Oh, I guess it's the... the they specifically okay, don't, because you know, he's yeah. mad when he shows up later. Yeah. Um, so Actually, so Daniel is already in the house, and we see Catherine enter, because, like, her maid or the the, the help in her house or whatever tell, tells tells her, hey, there's a young man who came to see you. And they kind of joke about it a bit, and they're like, oh, I have a young man visitor. Uh-huh. Um, so before we but, get too yeah. far, I want to... It's, it's weird that, like, the first time we're going to bring back Catherine to the show, we're mm-hmm. going to significantly retcon her pre- her previous ex- time in the movie. I mean, explain what you mean by significantly retcon, because it's not that much that I can tell that's different I from mean, the movie, except for the acting, I guess. I, I mean, the whole ev- every the whole thing that they they already knew what this was. Daniel yeah. didn't was not the first person to figure this out. Oh right, yeah. Cause to the point, to the point where we see in flashbacks that they knew that it was a that they were coordinates, not just a combination lock. Right, because like Catherine, Catherine specifically, when we see later on that no one told her what any of this, like she was kept out of the loop by her dad, basically by forty sexism, presumably. Um, even though she was already like a brilliant scientist or whatever, which is another thing that I don't think was like all that much alluded to in the movie. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's a good point. I, I mean, <clears throat> that, that, uh, Catherine is pretty much 
uh, in this episode. Also, an actual character in this episode, where in the movie yeah. she just was just kind of there for a few minutes to give him a yeah. necklace. Yeah, she, she was a plot device in the movie, and she's a character in this. She's much warmer and nicer, and she likes Daniel a lot, and she's missed him because it's the first time she's come back to see him ever since uh, the time of the movie, I guess. Uh, and no one told her about this. Like, she was completely uh, cut off of the from the loop after the movie, apparently, and uh, not... Like, presumably she was already up to whatever level of classified clearance she needed to be at to know about the Stargate, but someone decided... No, uh, this lady doesn't need to know any more about any of this, so uh, don't tell her anything. Uh, but Daniel is like has pretty much unilaterally chosen to break this at this point because he 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 got you. He 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 just goes to see her, and she's very uh, happy she to see him. She thought he stayed. He was still on Avados, which yeah. Why she shouldn't know? She shouldn't know that. She yeah. should think he's dead. Oh God, you're right. Because that was O'Neal that was like her. that was O'Neill's secret that he revealed in the in the pilot. I mean, so may, can we see O'Neill and her interact later? Yeah, it is plausible that he told her, but yeah, it's plausible that O'Neill just called her and said, "Hey, just so you know, Daniel's not dead, and like everyone knows except you now, so you, you should at least know this. He's back on Earth now." Um, the, which is how she doesn't freak out and goes, "Oh my God, I thought you were dead," or on a like. No, wait, she didn't know he was on another planet, so I guess O'Neill only told her that he wasn't dead. Yeah, um, he told her that he stayed on Avidos and hasn't yeah. told her in like the last few months that they've been doing Stargate stuff. Yeah. I yeah, guess yeah. when uh when Catherine sees him first, she says, My God, which you know, it's just a pattern of Daniel being mistaken for someone's god. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think we can take that my god literally in this case. Uh, there says, are gonna be mistaken you know, for I get ghosts. That a lot. Yeah, they are going to be mistaken for, like, hallucinations at best uh, later in this episode when we get there. But uh, no, uh, no, no gods, uh, no, no masters, only man in this episode. Uh, well, I mean, some masters, some leftover uh, precursor technology, I guess we could say. Um, okay, uh, we cut back to the SGC, and now O'Neill... Uh, <laughs> O'Neill is going through those crates uh, that we see have these big top secret stickers on them sealing the, the gates that have been cut open. Uh, he's looking through the tapes and the files and he's just looking at everything. Uh, before, we <laughs> get, before we get to the SGC, we do have our first flashback of young Catherine talking to uh, this is, yeah, this is a little bit after, I just, there's a short scene where, yeah. uh, Hammond walks in, and it's really funny, because Hammond doesn't know where Daniel is, and apparently hasn't, uh, been told about any of this, he, he hasn't been told about the files or, or the tapes or anything, uh, he, he's the one being kept completely out of the loop in the early parts of this episode, which is pretty funny, because, you know, literally, Catherine gets to know about this first, um, so yeah, we're back at Catherine's house, uh, and she's a little upset at Daniel now because she's realized, uh, yeah, it's been like a couple months that they've been back and like he hasn't called her. Nobody has called her. No one has told her that the Stargate was active or anything right now, even though I don't know, I, I don't know what the chain of ownership, uh, situation with the Stargate is exactly because like, it like her dad owned the Stargate as the archaeologist that found it, which is like 
what's implied I, in the movie and I guess the the flashback scenes in this episode and I, presumably I really don't she, think that's how that's going to work if you if you get the US military involved I'm pretty sure they're just going to take no, it no yeah so I, I I wonder if like the eminent domain seized it because like national security reasons they they went nope this belongs to the government now yoinks and like didn't give her any compensation for it but they uh, didn't but, until the Avidos thing <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, because she was still involved with it as of the movie, as pres- as maybe still the owner of the Stargate that, like, leased it to the government or whatever. Maybe they bought it from her after that. I don't know. Because um, presumably she inherited it from her father, which is how she was still involved with the project as of that time. Um, none, of, none of this is spelled out. This is completely just speculation from us. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, she she's a little bit upset because Daniel has apparently uh, in that cut to a short room, uh, to a short scene at the SGC has caught her up on every bit of lore that uh, we've learned since the pilot, which is the fact that there's a whole network of stargates out there and maybe about the goal and about how they've been going on planet missions like every week for since last summer or whatever it is. Um, so uh, Daniel like kind of gets back at her. <laughs> about it by saying, hey, but you never told me that you did experiments with the gate in 1945. Um, and, uh, like, to be fair, Catherine doesn't know about the, we're going to learn, doesn't know about the, the most interesting part of, of uh, these things, which is that the Stargate was turned on, but uh, she decides to tell him her side of the story, I guess, uh, that uh uh, Roosevelt was interested in the Stargates back during World War II uh, because they wanted to like analyze it as a weapon to fight the war, obviously. And so they, they put a bunch of military funding into it and ran some experiments with it, not knowing exactly what it was. Uh, there was but- definitely no period of time where the Nazis sto- where the Nazis stole it. No, yeah, that never that, that that part never happened. And if it did happen, there was a global thing that wiped everyone's memory of it afterwards, which would explain why no one mentioned uh, Edgar Edward. I'm sorry, I, I already forgot this guy's name uh, <laughs> uh, in it, or vice versa. Why uh, Catherine never mentions this other guy she has a love interest with in. She might. She never definitely had a love interest with in the 1940s when Nazis went to Abydos and fought, and fought the gold or became gold or whatever it was that happened in Stargate Origins. Uh, but yeah, that never happened. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, so basically, uh, the, uh, Catherine's version of events is they ran some experiments on the Stargate and couldn't figure it out and nothing happened with it. Uh, and they kind of just uh, shelved the project after that. Uh, but, like, she doesn't understand how come Daniel knows about it. And Daniel says, well, the Pentagon sent us some old boxes. Uh, they, they, were, they were declassifying, like, like, like I said. Uh, they were, like, basically doing a, a bit of an attic cleaning at the Pentagon and found these boxes and just sent them over. And he watched the videos and found out some, some stuff about it. Uh, which is when, yeah, which is when Catherine tells us that, yeah, so I was a 21-year-old girl and it was the 1940s, so my dad wasn't very in- interested in my scientific input on onto his Stargate project or Doorway to Heaven project. They, they do, like, the people in the past do call it the Doorway for, for, uh, to Heaven in this episode, which is a, a nice uh, nod back to the movie, which is what everyone called it. Which, you know, I thought Richard Pryor were, was the one that... Uh, 
that translated that, but I guess he was just piggybacking off of previous translations of this thing if they were if they were already calling in that in the 1940s. Um, we get a, we get a nice pan over to in the past, uh, good direction. Because uh, it pans over to the fireplace, and there's young Catherine and young Ernest. I'm sorry, his name is Ernest, uh, <laughs> sitting by the fire, uh, kind of cuddling together, making it clear that they were lovers. And uh, the fun, the fun part of this scene is that young Ernest in this scene is played by an actor named Paul McGillian, who, if you've seen a lot more Stargate, you will recognize as Carson Beckett from Stargate Atlantis. He's the doctor on that. <laughs> but it is funny that he appears in just this one episode as the young version of uh, a character we see in this episode in the past in a flashback. And then years later, he's going to come back as a main cast member on a different Stargate show. Uh, so, you know how casting happens. That's pretty funny. Um, and like, yeah, so in, in this scene, basically, uh, she's giving him a massage while he's laying down by the fire. It's all very romantic. And they're, they're kind of just discussing science <clears throat> and like making it clear that uh, Catherine was the woman behind in the shadow of the man, and th- in this time he was kind of she was very much uh, giving him like uh, feedback and like ideas and like just like the back and forth. Like uh, he was running his ideas uh, with her, and she was like part of it. But you know, as a woman back then, she couldn't get the credit for it. Obviously, um, yeah, he's he's kind of a jerk in this, but it's like a. This is exactly the kind of jerk you would expect some a guy from the forties to be. Yeah. So it's like Yeah, eh. he, he he's a little self-centered, but like he seems nice enough. It's just like when she says, Hey, you should talk to my father about these theories we've been talking about all the time, and he won't listen to me because I'm just a girl, and you should talk to him and tell him about it. And he says, Oh yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, for sure, honey. Yeah. But he was he was a little bit like uh caught up in listening to himself talk about his theories. Uh and and then like she says oh i meant about us because you know they want to get married and everything um and it's, you know very old-fashioned have to ask the dad about it it is the 40s um and then like they go back to talking uh science and she suggests that they use direct current into the stargate <laughs> which you know uh that's just like to, to show that oh she maybe she's an out-of-the-box thinker and she she found something out but that just seems like a a nice way to to get some breakers to fizzle use one and of the sen- two types of electricity that we have <laughs> Try, try the other one and like send sparks flying everywhere which i guess makes sense with how much we see you know fuses melting and sparks flying and lieutenant siler uh going flying uh over the course of this series that the stargate has to use uh, edison's favorite t- kind of elephant killing current to power it for some reason um because it is alien tech so who would expect it to just work right off the U.S. electrical grid, which does work on alternating current, if you weren't aware of that. Uh, the Tesla one, and it's better and more safe. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, in, fl- in the flashback, they, they kiss, uh, and then we get back to the present, and, like, I, I like to imagine, like, Catherine was like, so then I asked him, to, like, to tell my dad that we wanted to get married, and we made out with tongue a little bit, and it was pretty hot. <laughs> and we get back to the present, and Daniel says, so you didn't know that the Pentagon kept any of the files? Um, and she says, no, I didn't know that. Like, I had my dad's files, and I thought that was all that existed. Um, 
And she says, like, she had to fight for decades, basically, to get the government interested in putting the funding back to uh, into the project to figure it out, which is what led to the movie and everything. So basically, it was like the Stargate was her life's work, and you you kind of get her being upset that she was shut out of it after all this time. Like after one successful mission, she was just nope, okay, go retire into your house, and we're never going to talk to you again. That yeah, that sucked. Uh, but Daniel is here to fix that mistake because he he came back back and and said. Uh, is, is 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 this the scene where he tells her that they turned it on? I, I forget. Yeah, it is. Okay. So he says, yeah, so you didn't even know that they turned it on back then. And she goes, what? Um, because, no, she didn't know that. Um, Immediately uh, into another flashback. Yeah, another, another flashback where, <laughs> where uh, Ernest is now figuring out what Daniel figured out in the movie 50 years in advance, uh, which is, I, I guess no one wrote it down in the notebooks that Catherine had to go front off of, and like the, 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 her dad, after this experiment went wrong, just swore off the Stargate and never talked about it again, because uh, it would take a while to figure out this stuff again, I guess. Uh, even though they, they don't have... Um, they don't have the point of origin, which is the other part of it that Daniel figured out. Uh, Ernest has apparently figured out that uh, there are coordinates, that there are uh, constellations. Uh, you he just know. got he just got got lo- got lucky on the last one. Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> so that, that like ninety nine percent of the job was already done. Daniel just needed to point at the right thing on the screen, and that was it. Um, uh, Catherine's dad says that yeah, door, so he draws. He says doorway to heaven at this point, which is the nice nod. Uh, he says, you know, that could just mean that you walk through there, you die, uh, which is a nice Judeo-Christian way to, of looking at it. Because I don't know that a- ancient Egyptian mythology necessarily had a concept of going to heaven after you die. It was more of an underworld thing with Anubis weighing your soul and everything. I I can't call myself uh, an expert on that stuff, but heaven is a specifically uh, Judeo-Christian concept, as far as I'm, I as far as as far as I'm aware. Um, anyway, um, uh, Catherine takes this op- opportunity to walk into the room with a tray for tea, and she puts it down like r- gets really right up in Ernest's face and gives him a grin to to say to him wordlessly, "Hey, ask my dad about marrying me. Please stop stalling this stuff." Um, uh, and yeah, her dad gets a little like a little uh, salty about this. And he says, "You know, we we do have help in this house that can do this." And she's like, "No, I wanted to do this because you know I wanted to just like jab my boyfriend boyfriend in the ribs and then push him forward a little bit." Um, but Ernest chickens out. Doesn't uh, he? Doesn't ask uh, her dad the question because I think this is the last flashback scene we get. Uh, presumably, yeah, this was like the day before they turned on the Stargate, and Catherine never saw him again after that. So, uh, like all these years, she's assumed that he just ditched. Uh, she just ditched. No, wait, no, we we do get another flashback. We get one more like, flashback. Yeah, uh, she she assumes that he died uh, as an accident, which is what her dad tells her. Um, but yeah, Daniel has brought the tape over and they watch it a little bit and like she sees that he went through the Stargate and right after that we get the, like the final flashback where her dad tells her, tells her, hey, there was an accident at the lab, um, and Ernest died and I'm sorry. Says there was an explosion. Yeah. Now, now Mm -hmm. we've been basically been 
We haven't seen it yet, but we've been told that if a Stargate explodes, it's going to be really big. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there, there was, like, a fuse exploded. There were some sparks, and, like, t- like none of these people know what the Stargate does. Like, all they know is that it's coordinates, and it opens a portal, and I guess, like, Ernest was the one with that theory, and maybe it didn't catch on quite so much, and the dad, like, seems to be, like, leaning towards the it-kills-you hypothesis, so that's what he assumes happened to Ernest. Uh, but, like, he doesn't tell her, uh, tell Catherine anything about the Stargate, or that it opened. He just tells her that there was an accident, there was an explosion, and he died. Um... And like, yeah, she's very sad about this. Um, so, uh, yeah, then then Catherine in the present uh, realizes that if Ernest did go through the Stargate, that means that he chose to go on that mission without ask without telling Catherine about it, which kind of tells you everything she needs to know about the way he saw their relationship. That instead of like he was supposed to ask <laughs> to marry her and stuff that he went on a dangerous mission and as it turns out never came back from it so uh she she feels a little hurt by this um classic fear of commitment uh-huh yeah classic 40s guy uh and uh <laughs> the, the way he sees uh his girlfriend i guess as uh like basically not not caring much about how she feels about any of this and like his career being too important and so what if this is life threatening i'm not even going to discuss this with her um either so, that uh, or he's just so much of a scientist that science is his first love yeah and we we do see that in the flashback that he gets very passionate when he speaks to the point where he forgets about what's around him um kind of a little bit like daniel does actually parallels parallels uh like foreshadowing for the end of this episode um so daniel at this point says okay so there's another thing i'm extremely breaking uh my nda to show you is that i apparently he ran that tape which is transferred from film that is 50 years old uh through a computer that was able to enhance the footage enough that they can discern the exact Stargate symbols that you see on the tape and figure out the coordinates to the planet that they managed to dial, uh, which is very impressive, for, especially for 90s computers. Uh, but like, I feel like, like I must point out that they're running from a known set of symbols on the Stargate, so you could kind of plausibly assume that the computer went for with the closest match uh, among I mean, the symbols on the Stargate, so that's not quite as impressive as uh, as doing a CSI enhance on these symbols and figuring I out mean, what the symbol is. Even then, getting anything other than jumbled pixels from film to VHS is... Oh yeah, this thing would be grainy as hell. Like, there's like it's really scratchy, and you know, VHS is already a very lossy format, very low resolution, a uh, lot of like magnetic interference and uh, whatever. Like, if, if you're too young to remember VHS, it was a bad format, uh, listener. Uh, the, the movies looked like crap on it and VHSs would get damaged over time and the, the movies would look even crappier and crappier um, but that's what they were working with in the 90s uh, I mean you could get higher quality but at the sacrifice of a yeah. lower run time shorter run time and like to be fair this seems like a like, like a short film so presumably they used the, the good encoding on that VHS tape um but anyway, the long story short, Daniel has the coordinates to that planet, and he thinks now, hey, we should go there and see if we can find him after all these years, or what happened to this guy, at least. Uh, get some closure on all this. Uh, so, <laughs> Daniel brings Catherine back 
inside the SGC into the briefing room and we cut to Hammond basically screaming his face off about how this is extremely bad that he did all this, uh, that he wasn't supposed to tell her about any of this and it, they have classified levels for a reason uh, <laughs> and he's very upset. Uh, and he's like, he's the one guy in the room who's never met Catherine, so he doesn't have any like emotional attachment to her, and he's not her friend. Uh, but he's basically chewing out Daniel for uh, bringing her back into this. And Daniel's, uh, uh, no, wait, Daniel is just like kind of holding his ground, trying to play the well, I'm civilian, and these, I'm not, I don't have to follow your military rules, crap. Uh, and like then O'Neill enters the room all smiles and, and says, hey, he's very like happy to see Catherine and he's being very friendly and they shake hands and she's very happy to see him because, of course, uh, they were friends for a while, uh, but like an unseen while <laughs> when Jack O'Neill was Kurt Russell and she was on the base and they got to, to meet and become friendly with each other uh, in scenes that don't exist in the movie but must have happened. Um, I guess also after he came back, that that also makes more sense. Um, I so mean, yeah, it, it's fine if you just if you just kind of write the Richard Dean Anderson personality over Kurt Russell, and you, then, yeah. then it makes perfect sense. Yeah, 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 it makes sense that he came back and like they 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 hung out for a while after the mission, uh, and like that he told her all. I mean, maybe that 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 is when he told her about uh, Daniel still being alive on Abydos. Um Do they explain? Catherine knowing Sam. Uh, they, not not any much more than we see in this scene. Um, I mean, we we have we know that Sam was doing science during the first part of the first yeah, the first so, during so, the movie. So, so he yeah, presumably the, knew each other. The backfill canon is that Carter was the head of the team. She was working at the Pentagon at the time of the movie, but she was the head of the team that figured out the actual uh, nuts and bolts engineering and science necessary to get the Stargate running. Uh, while Daniel was figuring out the symbols. So, like, she would have been working with Catherine as Catherine was the one most interested in the Stargate and the civilian, like, uh, not benefactor, but the, 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 the patron of the Stargate program, I guess. Um, so, yeah, uh, like O'Neill says, like, uh, <laughs> he tried to tell Daniel not to do this. Um, Catherine meets Tilk and she says, uh, Daniel told him, uh, told her all about him and he doesn't say anything, but he like kind of bows to her. Um, and then I, I think it's Hammond that's, that, uh, that asks O'Neill, so has Daniel told you, uh, what he wants to do now? And O'Neill just kind of has a beat where he doesn't say anything and stares at Daniel and kind of just nods and guesses because just from seeing his face, he goes like, Oh, you son of a bitch. You, you want to go to that fucking planet and find this guy, don't you? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So Daniel like briefs everyone that this is what they want to do. Uh, Catherine says, hey, I want to go to... It's my Stargate. I want to go through it, damn it. And my boyfriend boyfriend might be there. Um, I want to go see him. Uh, Carter mentions that it's not from it's not on the cartouche. Yeah, so that's like... They, they, they kind of build the case for it. Like, Carter enters the scene, and she hugs Catherine. And as mentioned, like, yeah, clearly they've been familiar with each other and are very friendly. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of sweet, honestly. It instantly makes you, like, believe this dynamic because, you know, she's been there all along. It's like she's part of the team already. Um, yeah, so, so she, she, it's not on the cartouche, so it could be a planet that the gold don't know anything about. Uh, so it's like of military interest even or scientific or whatever they find there um 
Which, like, might be the first time... No, wait, Catherine would know about the gold from the Abydos mission anyway. Um, she might not know that they're snakes. Yeah, no, maybe she, she hasn't been caught up on this part. Uh, Tilk, Tilk says his only sentence in this scene, which is like, hey, the gold haven't been there. We, we might find technology that they don't know about. And Catherine, like, kind of smiles at him and says, hey, you speak. And he says, yeah, sometimes when it's appropriate. Uh, it's kind of funny. And then, like... It's cute. Yeah. Uh, Hammond pulls his move where he, like, after pretending to be a hard ass, this whole scene says, actually, I was convinced already by the first part of this argument, which is we should get Ernest back because, you know, he was an American, he's stranded there, and we're the good guys, we're gonna go get him, and everything else is just icing on the cake. Um, so yay, let's go. Uh, they, they open the Stargate. Uh, Catherine is uh, being escorted by both Daniel and O'Neill, like uh, her, both of her arms hooked into uh, each one of them on both of her sides. Uh, so they just like walk into the Stargate, everyone, and end up on a dank, dusty, broken down temple set with the square columns <laughs> uh, but it's like with really cold lighting and you get the imp- and like you, you hear wind and like thunder and everything and it's a bad scene and you go ooh this planet is kind of like not very friendly it's it's not doesn't seem immediately inhabited or anything uh, it's kind of a shitty place um they get there and uh, they, they 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 start looking around and like then the cam- Daniel turns and the camera pans over to an open doorway where which you see just in silhouette what is clearly a naked seventy something year old man. Uh, um, I just want to. I didn't notice this first watching, but I just paused it. Mm-hmm. Just before Daniel goes and sees naked Ernest, mm-hmm. Jack looks at the DHD. Yeah. Oh yeah, he should see that. Like I guess he he just took a real brief like summary glance at the DHD because he should have known immediately that the thing was broken from looking at it. Yeah, you're, you're right. Uh Jack is not the most absor- observant person. He kind of plays uh the role of the dumb guy who needs to have the science explained to him in this episode uh as he often does. But uh yeah, uh old naked dude like walks into the room. Uh, everyone is like, oh, wait, that's weird. And I mean, it's not that weird when you know you're going there specifically to find a guy who's been stranded for 50 years. Uh, Daniel talks to him a little bit, uh, calls him by name, name, Dr. Littlefield and Ernest. The camera has a real close brush with showing this guy's full junk because he's just hidden by Daniel's shoulder, who's being shot from behind as he walks forward. Um, some nice uh, Austin Powers trickery right there. Uh, and like he he walks forward and uh, uh, Daniel try, tries to talk to him and says, "Hey, we came through the Stargate." And uh, he, he like he kind of looks at the Stargate, and Daniel like close to his guns. To heaven, you prick! That's what he knows it by. <laughs> yeah. Daniel's like, "No, I translated it. It's called a Stargate. I'll be cold and dead several times over <laughs> before I'll admit or accept calling it the doorway to heaven. Um, but yeah, uh, Ernest kind of just pokes Daniel a little bit to make sure that he's solid and real. And then he hugs, he hugs him and says it's about time. 
and <laughs> then Ernest goes over to hug O'Neill. Then he goes over to hug uh, Carter, who goes, oh boy, and just like uh, kind of swerves out of the path of the old naked guy, uh, which is pretty funny. And then he goes over to hug Tilk, who mant- maintains his composure. Um, Everybody gives out a big sigh of relief as yep. he's not uh, exhibiting 1940s racism. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, black guy, it's fine. I'm cool with black guys. I'm a very uh, liberal 1940s guy. Uh, he's been alone for 50 years. Like, who who cares about the race of people walking through? Like, even if he was a racist before, I would hope he would have learned to let go of that systemic problem by being away from the system for so long. Um Anyway, uh, so like she hasn't spotted Catherine yet, but uh, Daniel kind of points at her uh, to show that hey, she came over, and you know you get the impression at first that he maybe doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't recognize her because last time he saw her, she was in her twenties, so it's hard to uh, to apply your. Y- you know how you haven't if you haven't seen your real life friends after two years of pandemic. Y- you you know you you every like, it's probably a universal experience by now. You see them again for the first time in two years, and they've changed physically in some way that is like kind of shocking to you. Uh, imagine that, but over fifty years. Um, so yeah, this is what has happening. But after a second, he does recognize her, uh, and he, he, he. But then he got you just gotta go hmm, and then like walks out of the room, uh, like he's a he's a little angry at her. And she she she, yeah, she goes well. I didn't expect that reaction. Um, so uh, yeah, so the rest of this episode is going to be a lot of talking. So uh, get ready for it because uh, it's a lot of lore coming up. Um, uh, da- Daniel fo- kind of follows Ernest into his little uh, uh, improvised. We do get an establishing shot of where they are, and it it looks like a cutscene from Mist. Oh yeah, it does because because you know oh, oh yeah that 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 establishing shot from the outside of the castle like part yeah. of the castle is literally hanging over the sea and we're gonna see uh, this is like that that little wing of the castle is where, exactly where the DHD is um, and like the part of the ground under it has completely eroded away. There's a big storm with big waves and yeah the the castle looks very matte painted painting-ish. And when you mentioned Mist, I was looking at the inside of this thing, and it also kind of looks like that, because it's very clearly not ancient stone or anything. It's just uh, painted plywood, and it's very sharp angles and everything. It looks a a little fake in the same way that, say, you know, a Mist landscape would look, or like stairs in a Mist game that you have to climb would look. um, With the fake marble on the walls and everything. Um, Yeah, they picked, like, the, it's a real weird coincidence that they picked the the day that this is going to fall into the sea to come here. Oh yeah, it's been like this guy has lived here for fifty years, and he says this is this storm is a yearly occurrence. I guess it's like hurricane season in this area of this planet, and this is the one after exactly fifty two years that is going to completely destroy the Stargate and the DHD, and they're never going to be able to come back here again. Uh, spoiler for the end of this episode, uh, uh, but I assume you've watched it already anyway. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that, that, that's some real TV character bad luck right there. That's, that's just uh, the, 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 the narrative gods deciding that SG-1 can't possibly have uh, this easy an access to advanced technology this early in the series or they're going to become too powerful too, too quickly so we need to cut that off from them immediately just just give them a tease of it and then next time we bring this knowledge back it's going to have come with its own set of problems 
we'll get to that in season two. Um, we, we can we can tantalizingly torment them, if you will. Uh huh. Yeah. It's 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 yeah. That's that's a whole like triple uh, meaning of the the title of this episode. Uh, which guess guess it's tantalizing the audience. Uh, by the way, th- something I learned today is that uh, the the initial order for this show on Showtime was forty four episodes, which is uh, the f- the full first two seasons. So while writing and shooting this, uh, they they already knew they would be able to go a full two seasons. So presumably they already had like kind of planned out everything that this plotline would lead to. So this was like very intentionally a tease for a thing that would happen a whole season later. Um, so it's pretty cool that they, they got to, to have that in the early years of this show because in later years of this show, they would be threatened with cancellation every single season and they would have to scramble to make, to, to write a, an episode that could serve as a series finale at the end of each season. And it's, it gets exciting, but it's, you know, it, it kind of takes away the, the long form, uh, lore buildup that you had in those first couple seasons. Um, so yeah, uh, Daniel has followed Ernest into his little makeshift, uh, living space, which is going to be also the, the, the planetarium room that we're going to see in a little bit. Um, and he says, Hey, uh, Ernest, do you have anything you can put on? And, uh, Ernest goes, Oh yeah, right. I remember clothes. Um, and he picks up like the tattered remains of what seems to be the diving suit that he was wearing, uh, in the, in the video. So that, that's, uh, but like the helmet is detached from it uh so he puts that on you know uh, another thing is they 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 brought a whole uh malp over with them so you know maybe a change of clothes would be something that would be on there that they could give the guy uh but they don't especially uh, since you know your your mission is to try and find the guy who's been there for 50 years yeah you, you you think you you might bring it's like a bunch of food, a bunch of water, some clothes, maybe a toothbrush or something. Like the the, the, the essentials, things that a guy who's been away from Earth for from fifty years might need, like a pair of glasses uh, under this guy's prescription, or better, or whatever, because you know eyesight doesn't stay the same for fifty years. Um, yeah. So is it just me, or do they act like Ernest is rediscovering language? as he's interacting with them. Yeah, they, a little. They do that. He he's remembering it cuz you know, it's been 50 years. You, you like if you've seen the movie Castaway, there's a little bit of that in there where you know, there's Wilson and Tom Tom Hanks uh only keeps saying and keeps his grasp on language by talking to this volleyball for the whole 4 years that he's on that island. Uh so this guy has been there for 50 years. So like in the early scenes he's in he he it's clear that this guy hasn't talked to a human in a really long time and uh he's he's uh, lost his grasp on language a little bit but it comes back pretty quick. Uh it's like riding a bike or you know language. It's it's yeah. dug pretty deep into the brain so you got to stretch your uh, language muscles or they'll atrophy. Yeah, they'll atrophy, but, you know, he recalls them. It's it's not lost. It's really hard to loop, to forget, to speak a language forever, especially your uh, your, your, your maternal language. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, da- Daniel, like, there, there's, he's also lost, uh, like, human social uh, interactions because, like, the fr- Ernest, like, goes and picks up what seems like a grok but i guess it's like a gross mushroom or something which is what he's been eating and just hands it to daniel and says it, it seems to be like hey uh i guess i'm supposed to give something to them because they came to rescue me and he just like kind of hands it to him and stares at him um and daniel gets the daniel, picture yeah daniel eats it and says 
Bunny way. <laughs> Bunny way. Yeah, no, this doesn't look as tasty as a, as a 50 grand bar or whatever it was. Um, uh, yeah, but Daniel picks up on the, the f- by the fact that uh, this guy is acting kind of weird uh, and they, they haven't seen anyone that, hey, I think you've been alone for 50 years and the, we're the first people you've seen in all that time. Uh, and, and Ernest only says, eat, eat. And we cut over to Carter looking directly at the DHD from the top of it, which, like, these, these at this point, these, these can only be continuity errors because there's no way no one at this point would have noti- noticed that it's smashed to bits from looking so close to it. Um, th- th- this is pr- this is probably just, like, the actors kind of improvising their walking around the set and what they would be doing, and it's uh, I, this is something they maybe should have caught because it, it comes at conflict with uh, them finding this out later on. Uh, but Catherine is, is like, while Carter is walking around, Catherine is just kind of ranting about how, hey, about after all this time, he's been here this whole time, and I thought he was dead, and I thought he'd, uh, he ditched me, but he was here all alone all this time, and now he doesn't even want to talk to him anymore. Um, and, and Carter, Sam kind of, kind of tries to cheer up and say, says, you know, he's been here for decades. Give him a little chance. He's just not, you know, it's going to take a little time to get readjusted to talking to people. And she says, oh, I'm a, I'm a stupid little teenager because I was so excited and I thought he was going to be her and we're going to fall in love again. And it's pretty cute. And uh, Carter says, ah, you know, I don't think you're ever too old to be a silly person in love or anything. Um and Catherine's a little despaired because, like, yeah, he's been through so much and she's been on Earth this whole time living a comfortable life. So, like, they've drifted apart and they maybe don't have anything in common anymore. And Carter just suggests that she goes to talk to her, to him. And she takes that as... She just, like, reacts to that and that's it for this scene. Um, so we get to... Uh, yeah, we cut back to Ernest and Daniel where uh, Ernest is showing Daniel he's made a, a makeshift calendar out of what looks like recycled paper or like hand, handmade paper that he made for from wood pulp that he found somewhere or something uh there they, they or i don't know uh fabric of some kind it's not really clear where he got anything like paper uh but it's not like the journal that we see that he's also kept this whole time it's just loose sheets of paper that he has been marking days on um to count the days that he's been there uh so daniel starts asking him questions about this place if over the decades he's figured out what this place is or what it was used for uh ernest says heliopolis which is uh what we're gonna call this planet now because you know as no one lives here uh the guy who's been living there for 50 years has pretty much jurisdiction and naming rights for it uh and daniel says you mean like the ancient egyptian city that was uh, like a university town, basically, where all the scholars were back in ancient Egypt, which made me think of the Library of Alexandria, but that was a different thing. It was like, I guess, a different uh, repository of scholarly knowledge in ancient Egypt. Um, they talk about yeah, it. Sorry? Like, just off screen, just after we cut, cut away from the beginning, it's like, you know, it's, it's funny that you should like draw the 
name it after something Egyptian. Uh-huh. You don't know this, but... <laughs> I mean, they knew that they found the Stargate in ancient Egypt. Like, the, the Egyptian connection was already there. So, it's like, it's not completely a coincidence. Uh, but what is a funny coincidence is that uh, Daniel fills in the rest of the, the, the Wikipedia article for Heliopolis and says, so Heliopolis was also where this, this, the, the, the worship of the sun god Ra was uh, centered and where the main Ra temple was located. Uh, which is, you know, Daniel makes that gold connection, which uh, Ernest has no idea about. Um, well, but, as we see in a little bit, it's kind of the exact opposite of that. Yeah. It's everyone else. <laughs> yeah, ex- everyone else was there, but not Rod. No gold there. Uh, but the fact that he mentioned the Heliopolis makes Daniel think, hey, maybe there is gold stuff here. Uh, but even it's just a coincidence. It has nothing to do with them. Um, so Ernest uh, picks up <coughs> his journal and uh, hands him to... Uh, to to hands it to Daniel, who opens it on their random page and starts reading an entry for it, uh, specifically an entry where he says he walked for miles uh, around all around the castle and didn't find a single sign of civilization, and they've been all he's been all alone. And he, like in his journal, he mentions Catherine and how he's been talking to her and she's been telling she's been like agreeing with him, which gets back to the castaway Wilson thing. Uh, like Ernest had a. Uh, a, a fake, a hallucinatory Catherine that he saw, who was presumably twenty-one years old this whole time, uh, talking like talking with him and shooting ideas back and forth off of, which is probably why he was a little upset to see how she actually looks because it clashes with uh, how he's been like seeing her this whole time, I guess, uh, the way she was in his head, and like she confronts him about this a, a, a little bit more. Uh, about this because uh, like yeah she, she's been kind of listening because he says so Catherine was with, with me this whole time talking to me uh, like she was she, she was she was what kept me sane through all this which is you know uh, citation needed but uh, you do what you're gonna do when you're stuck alone on the planet and she's there and and uh, like he he seems he implies like that this was a like a defense mechanism to explain how come no one ever came back to to uh to 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 free him because they know how to turn on the stargate they know what the coordinates are what what was the hold up how come it, it took so long and Catherine says who who is standing right behind him she says well my father lied to me and said you were dead so uh i actually didn't know about that you were here this whole time and uh it sucks because <laughs> i definitely would have come back earlier if i'd known about it um uh, so yeah, uh, Ernest like t- t- talks to her and like he says, "Yeah, you seem so real." And she says, "Yeah, well, you know, it's the real me this time." And she says, "It's not easy for for her either." And he like, yeah, he gets confused because she looks different from what he remembers. And she says, "Yeah, so because it's been decades and I'm old now, and so are you." And uh, he tr- he tries to. Um, to tell her that in his head they had this whole relationship through through their life together and she uh, a little harshly says no that never happened and on my side I I didn't have a life with you because I thought you were dead so I moved on and like I didn't see you through through these whole times and you weren't alive to me uh, and it, uh, he clearly like he falls apart a little bit at knowing this by the way this guy really good acting uh, <laughs> the, the actor who plays Ernest is uh, 
It's it's not an easy job that he was given to do, uh, to to act like a, the dude who's been cast away for fifty years. But he like really knocked it out of the park. Um, so uh, we get to the, the is this where okay it, we have like a, a scene in the gate room with just SG one now talking to each other and uh, they they kind of just say yep we've looked around this place there's, there isn't much to see maybe we should start thinking about going back home. And Daniel is like kind of flipping through the journal and says, uh, yeah, so uh, Ernest has been alone here this whole time. He's never seen anyone here. So I think you're right. There might be nothing here. Um, so they hear some more thunder and like Ernest and Catherine entered the, enter the room and they say, wow, that sounds like a storm coming. And Ernest says, uh, yeah, it's a, there, it sounds like a huge one. And there's, there's one like that every year and it's pretty bad. Um, so O'Neill says, yeah, uh, so we should probably just dial the Stargate and go back home now before the storm gets really bad. And Daniel, like, immediately opposes this and says, well, you know, I have to stay around and, like, look at all this stuff. There's probably some cool shit in this castle that I haven't found yet. Uh, which is funny because, you know, you think he hasn't even seen the thing that's actually interesting in here yet, but he already wants to uh, explore it. Um and and Onya says that yeah no you know we're 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 gonna go home wait for the storm to be over and then come back and you can do your thing it's fine it's gonna be fine uh, <laughs> which you know we know it's not gonna be but um, and like Ernest is like I don't I don't understand how how are we gonna get home now and uh, that's when Daniel points at the DHD and says hey you never tried to use this uh, which you know knowing that this thing has thirty nine possible symbols and like billions of possible combinations and that Ernest has no way of knowing what Earth's coordinates are, you can understand that he, even if he had tried combinations his whole life on there, he might never have found an actual planet to dial to. Um, but uh, yeah, only, like Daniel tries to explain what the DHD is to him uh, while standing right over it and pointedly not looking at it and just like gesturing at it with his hands. And Onya says, hey, let's just turn it on and he's going to see what we're talking about. Uh, and th then they all go behind the DHD and we get like the, the, the TV rule that if the camera doesn't see it, it doesn't exist because now that the camera is looking at the DHD, we see that it's smashed and therefore the characters now know that it's smashed and they, they can't use it to dial anything. Uh... O'Neill gets a little angry because he says, hey, don't we have probes that are supposed to look for these things? And uh, yeah, Carter says, well, we sent the probe and it saw the DHD from the back and we assumed everything was A-OK -okay with it. Uh, oops. I guess they should have been a little more thorough. Uh, and They try pushing the symbols and nothing happens. Uh, yeah, and there's another bit where Catherine looks at Ernest and says, that's why you never came back, and I must once again feel the need to point out that even if this DHD was fully functional, there was no way for Ernest on his own to know what to dial to get back to, to Earth, so... Yeah, but the fact that it's broken means that he... Yeah, they're all kind of forgetting that, like, that was, like, half of the plot of the movie. Yeah, that, that, that's Daniel what the, didn't know how. Yeah, that's what the movie was about. And this particular planet, having no humans on it, doesn't even have a reason to have the Earth's coordinates, like, logged into it anywhere. Even though they probably are logged somewhere in the repository of knowledge, because this thing has everything in it. But, you know, you wouldn't need to flip through it for... Uh, years or whatever to just stumble upon the right set of coordinates. Anyway, uh, it's a little fortunate that the thing is smashed because uh, if he had been able to just randomly smash 
uh, symbols into it, he might have dialed to another planet, and then they would have never found him. Uh, that that way, at least, he stayed put there. But uh, the downside is SG-1 is completely stranded on this planet now, and they have no way of getting home. Uh, so that sucks. Uh, so it seems like O'Neill and Daniel, after the uh, at this point, are like, okay, we should probably uh, <laughs> like they're 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 flipping uh, slabs of stone like upright and seem like they want to use them to prop the ceiling to like fortify the, the this room a little bit to make sure it withstands the storm a little better. Uh, while Teal'c and Carter are hooking up electrodes to the, to the DHD and I guess trying to fix it. Uh, don't know what Teal can bring to this conversation, but uh, he's happy to help, I guess, to follow instructions and hold whatever I, I, uh, Sam needs him to hold. It's a it's a little detail that's not going to be relevant to the show for quite a while, mm-hmm. but I do like how the while the Volt thing is hooked up to it mm-hmm. and Car- Carter's running tests on it, mm-hmm. the inside of the DHD glows orange. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the you know. It's not. It's not a ZPM in there, or ZPM. Uh, but it it is a whatever the gold. No, not even the gold. Whatever alien power source is powering this thing. That uh, presumably works similar to one, but yeah, not quite. Yeah. Um, so uh, Ernest is like, okay, uh, since we're all stuck here anyway, I'm gonna come and show you the one cool thing I found in this place. And they go back to his little living quarters, and he takes the tarp off of the thing that made me immediately think of the orange sky device from that one episode. Uh, but it looks a little different. There's like a big orange globe on top of it that looks more like uh, the center thing on a DHD. And as soon as he takes the the, the tarp off, uh, you see four like uh, little walls of writing uh, that light up in different uh, little scripts. And w- w- this is where your little uh, detective hat should come on and you should remember some things about past episodes if you've been paying real close attention to the little breadcrumbs of hints that you've seen uh strewn about uh the the okay hang on I, let me just like get the the, the order of this scene right because uh, he takes off the tarp so we first see like okay we first see the wall behind O'Neill light up uh this writing right there i don't think so it's a shame they should have put in the episode the Knox. They should have had some sign or writing somewhere or something where you see these symbols because what's lighting lighting up behind O'Neill right there is Knox writing uh, these little angles with the dots. Then the camera uh, cuts over to a different wall that lines up in Nordic looking runes, uh, which is a thing that they're going to understand right in this episode and spell out for us that this is Asgard writing. Uh, this is what uh, Thor's race uh, that we saw just last episode. Uh, they were here. They were involved in this thing. And we see two other walls with uh, unidentified writings. Uh, there's one that looks like uh, a little bit more... Uh, flowy and like sharp edges and rounded corners and stuff it looks a little bit like uh like tolkien elf writing like the stuff on the one ring uh, this is furling writing we're gonna learn uh, we're, we're never gonna explicitly learn that this is furling writing but by uh, process of elimination it has to be uh more about the furling never really but they're gonna come up at some point why why did the furling exist and existence in air quotes since they literally never <laughs> I do don't anything. know it's it's just <laughs> funny cuz 
Clearly, early on, they had this concept of this room with four walls that had four alien races on them, and they had like an outline of what they would do about this concept. And somehow, it took it took a few seasons of them not doing anything with the furling, and then and then it got to the aughts and like the internet message board era, and Stargate and fans started started posting have- a bunch of theories about the furlings and asking, "Where are the furlings? What's up with the furlings?" And then the show creators saw all of that and the fans and the, the questions at the Q&As at the, con- at the conventions and decided, you know what? It would be a really funny joke if the Furlings never fucking showed up and we never learned anything about them in, for the whole duration of this show. And that's exactly what they did to the point where the 200th episode has a Furling joke in it. Uh, but yeah, this is the first allusion to them right there, this wall of text. Uh, and the fourth one is something I'm not going to mention because it's another important uh, alien race that's going to show up a whole bunch in later Stargate. Uh, it's like rectangular writing with, it's just like rectangular shapes that are, are like little squares and with gaps and lines through them. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm going to keep that one a secret for now because uh, we haven't seen them. So, they haven't been mentioned yet. Uh, they're going to be important. Um, did the show bother to like make this a legitimate like you know letter swap for a symbol? No, I don't think that so. That they could write with. Okay. Uh, presumably, you could like the 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 Nordic runes are a real but, script that existed on Earth. So if you yeah, those are act those are actual Nordic runes. Of, um, I've read that the translation is mm, Google Translate levels. Okay, yeah, that sounds like that's what it would be. Um. I don't know if if anyone in the nineties. Okay, I have on. no idea if the if the other languages are actual conlangs or not. Yeah, I would be surprised if they were fully that. It's probably just art design. C- uh, considering how lazy they are with the Gawood language, probably not. Uh, like, Cree is used for so many damn things. Yeah. Uh, the Heliopolis Rosetta Stone translation on our Stargate on Reddit. Uh, this seems to be a short discussion where no one has a specific uh, literal translation of the one. Uh, no, I don't think anyone has actually uh, written out what this means. And if it was significant, Stargate fans would know this and it would come up on Google when you Google it. Uh, but I guess not. As Daniel does give, give a brief summary translation when he does read the wall later on. Um, anyway, after this happens, uh, Ernest hands uh, Daniel his journal again, and says, and Daniel starts reading from it, like on a specific page that Ernest pointed out to him, and he says, uh, I believe this room was a meeting place where four alien races that ha- uh, denoted by these symbols and distinctive writing on the walls would gather. Uh, basically, uh, Ernest's theory is that this room was a, uni- a space United Nations um, where uh, different uh, alien races would just like meet on neutral ground on this planet and discuss whatever galactic uh, affairs that needed to be discussed at the, at the time, but it's probably been abandoned for a long time now uh, based on the state of the place. Uh, and also in the journal, he says, Catherine agrees. Uh, and like the actual Catherine looks at Ernest and says, hey, uh, you're right, I would have agreed with that. That sounds like a, a good interpretation of this room. Uh, correct. <laughs> that, that is a reasonable interpretation of a room with four walls with four different languages on them. <laughs> right. Even though, even though Ernest has no uh, definitive proof that alien races exist because he's never seen them, he correctly extrapolated that based on the knowledge he had. Um, 
So and apparently he never heard of runes before. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. A, I mean, he was a scientist. He he never learned to read all the doors. Like, based on, I mean, but, he was a scientist fighting an enemy in World War II that loved runes. There, there is that. Uh, <laughs> he also knows uh, about Heliopolis and everything. Like he he seems to be like a well cultured man. And like Daniel is going to mention Thor later on, and Ernest knows who Thor is, uh, even though. Uh, he's from a time okay, before even, before even Marvel. Back then, like <laughs> Thor was still like mythology one hundred and one. That's a that's a yeah. pagan god that yeah. people had heard of. It, it, it probably would have been in his you know uh, general culture university classes or whatever since like he's he is a doctor he does have a doctorate so he would like have a basic understanding of these things uh, enough to know what Thor is but not enough to read Nordic runes. Um, so no, but he should at least recognize, hey, this is something that has appeared on Earth before, right? Well, if he, yeah, probably. If he mentions that in his journal, we don't, uh, we don't get to have that page read to us. Um, we cut, <laughs> we cut back to the DHD, and uh, Sam has figured out where the energy core of the DHD is, which is like it's it's nice that this happens in this episode because there's going to be an episode in a few episodes where Sam has to uh, futz about with the DHD again, and like the fact that she's figuring it figuring it out now is going to be help her with uh, the stuff later on because she says. Uh, yeah, ba- basically the, the way that, uh, she's getting the, the electricity readings off of this thing, uh, tells her that this is the core and this is the power source. So she, she's starting to identify the basic components of your DHD and, uh, learn how it works internally based on this smashed one. <laughs> There's a funny bit where, like, she, she says that and Tilk says, I believe you are correct. <laughs> and it's, he's so supportive. Tilk doesn't understand any of this. He doesn't know how THDs work. They're not even gold technology, but um, yeah, I guess they're like, ex- they're like double magic. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I guess we didn't, me- I don't know, if I don't remember if this comes up later in this episode or earlier in the briefing scene, but uh, this is the episode that actually proves uh, Daniel's theory from last episode that the gold didn't create the Stargates, uh, since this is a Stargate on a world where we know that the gold have definitely never been to. Or at least, as far as we know, have never been to. But uh, this is like, yeah, this is the confirmation of that theory from last episode. Um, so, uh, yeah, we uh, after like, yeah, Carter says, I think we might be able to figure out. Uh, we 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 might be able to take the battery or the power supply of the DHD and hook it directly up to the Stargate and spin it ourselves. And uh, about your uncle, we might be able to dial the Stargate this way. If we're lucky, they're not. Um, so we, uh, we cut back to uh, the 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 UN room, uh, and, and uh, O'Neill is staring at the big orange globe in the center of the room and really wants to taste it, I guess, because it looks like a big candy. And he says, "This this looks familiar," uh, referring actually to the globe at the middle of a DHD. And Ernest tells him to touch it, so he goes, all right, uh, puts his hand on it, and uh, like I mentioned earlier, the orange sky device, and this this does a, a thing that looks a little bit like that, because it shoots an orange light into uh, the ceiling, but uh, then that turns on a, hol- a hologram of a bunch of like nice little atoms, well, big atoms, uh, flying around the ceiling of the room. 
and they don't they don't quite uh, identify them as atoms immediately, but they look at them uh, for a little bit. Uh, and Daniel says, uh, "Well, if this was the UN of these alien races, this this definitely has to mean something. I don't know what it is, but it has to be something." Uh, and O'Neill, of all people, is the one that spots the hydrogen uh, the hydrogen atom atom. Sorry, and he says, "Hey, I know what this is." And Catherine is is the one who says, "Yeah, I know this too. This is from high school chem- chemistry. This is hydrogen hydrogen atom. There's a there's a proton and an electron, which is what uh, Daniel says. So, so it's good that all of these people know <laughs> off the top of their head what the hydrogen atom is." Uh, Catherine shows us that she's an a- accomplished chemist because she can identify from sight a bunch of different elements like sodium, barium, xenon, beryllium, uh, sodium iron silver uh which is more than i could do i don't have the i mean beryllium's pretty towards the beginning so that one would be easy to count i don't even remember where it is on a pe- i don't have the periodic ta- table uh, i think it's hydrogen helium lithium beryllium boron carbon wow that's as far as i can yeah go. okay well i mean you could go to that planet and i'm only like 80 percent sure i'm correct <laughs> so these people Apparently, I don't know if it's like university in the 40s uh, drilled the periodic table right into deep into your skull because Catherine and Ernest both seem uh, really good at identifying all of these atoms. Uh, Ernest presumably didn't have a periodic table with him when he went to that planet, so he had to remember it all from memory, uh, which is pretty good. Uh, even though he says he's been here a long time, uh, still, like... That's that's a that's a that's a good memory to remember all of that. Uh, he was a scientist, I guess, so uh, not shouldn't and, be I mean, surprised. He probably would have started trying to figure that out in like the first couple of days because it's like right there. Right. Yeah. Uh, like no no shade. Like he's a doctor in science and whatever. Be I have no trouble believing that he's better than at least me at remembering the the elements and the order on the table. Um. So yeah, O'Neill says so. What is what? Okay, we figured out that they're atoms. What does what does that mean? And now it says, okay, uh, these are representations of all the elements on the periodic table, and everything in the universe is built out of these elements. So, uh, and Ernest says there's 146 uh, elements up in this uh, little hologram there, and Catherine says uh, there's only 111 that we know of. And Ernest says uh, there were ninety where <laughs> when I left Earth, so good job. But uh, there's even more that we haven't like figured out about yet, because uh, uh, I believe the last couple, you know, those two rows that are like under the periodic table. I I think those are, if not theoretical, like just uh, elements that have been, you know, uh, figured out to exist. Uh, they're like unstable, so they've only been created under lab conditions and then don't hold together for very long so they're they're not like whatever uh basically so no those are the ones where it's like they're normal elements mm-hmm. but uh they would make the table so wide that it would be right. kind of unmanageable for printing uh-huh. so so that's part of it yeah i i do know that the last few elements on the table uh like the the ones that are over a hundred are very radioactive and unstable and like have only been observed uh under lab conditions and are not known to exist in a stable state anywhere um 
So like the the basically all of this to say yes in the 40s we're up to 90 now as of the 90s which is when I was in school 111 sounds right I don't know if they've gone further than that by now but these aliens have gone up to 146 uh, which is Google says 118 118 there you go I think that's more than when I was in school. 28 more to go yeah. <laughs> um, um, so uh, yeah uh, so Catherine says so uh, these are like uh, graphical representations of atoms, but we've only theorized about what they actually look like, because, you know, being smarter than light, they don't actually look like anything. It's just a representation of how we know them to be physically structured, or whatever. And these aliens chose to represent them in the same way that we do, which is funny. And, um, which is when uh, Daniel figures it out that uh, if these are uh, your basic elements and that everything in the universe is made of elements, this is like a, a universal translating dictionary that if they had some kind of key to read it with, they could read uh, data based on these elements. Like it's an alphabet with 146 letters, basically. Um, so this is... Uh, and Ernest tells Daniel to turn the page... Because uh, when you turn, when you touch the globe in the middle, it changes all the atoms in the room to a different set of them, and uh, so they figure out that uh, there's a whole lot of them. Uh, and Ernest says, "Yeah, he's been here 50 years, and he's tried to read this thing, and he hasn't been able to make heads or tails of it because um, it's too complicated, and it's you know uh, whatever cipher it uses, he hasn't had." whatever key or uh, reference he needs to to translate these atoms into a language. And, you know, uh, you would think with some basic cryptographic expertise and a lot of time, you might be able to have some kind of... <laughs> of uh, to start to have a kind of... Uh, like the, the you know th that's what arrival is about in a in a small way towards the beginning where you you need to figure out like a universal way of communicating and you start with uh, concepts that are concepts that are very common and like you go frequency analysis so you would say like if these atoms show up more often they must mean something that they have that has to come back in some kind of logical fashion and you look for math sequences and all of that so with that kind of process using a lot of time and a lot of very smart experts you might be able to start translating these things but Ernest in like 50 years alone hasn't been able to even get started on that um and yeah if he uh, eventually deciphered it mm -hmm. uh, he would have found the message shaka when the walls fell <laughs> yeah dharma congelata tanagra um uh at Enkidu. <laughs> Gilga yeah. Uh, Gilgamesh with uh, whatever. Um, Gilgamesh on the ocean. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Daniel is very fascinated with this and he wants, uh, he's basically like, hey, uh, I need to be here and uh, get all, at least record all of this and get started with reading this because uh, this is the shit that we've been looking for. If these four alien races met up here and these are not the gold and they've recorded all of their knowledge into this thing, if we can translate that, uh, that's the key. That could be the technology that lets us like build spaceships and lasers and stuff and uh, <laughs> solve all of our problems, build the Thor's hammer to 
free uh, free charade from the gold. You know, everything could be in there. Uh, so you know, you get like just from Daniel's eyes, you you see that all these possibilities are flashing through his brain right now. And O'Neill has to be the pragmatic one to says. Uh, there's a hurricane coming this way, and the DHD is smashed, so we actually need to figure out a way to go back home first. Uh, so let's forget about the Library of the Ancients right now and um, get back to it later. Uh, all, all, all hands on uh, getting us home right now. Um, so uh, we get back to the gate room, and uh, Teal has these big uh, alligator clamps that. So they've 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 kind of like wrapped some like copper big thick copper wire around the stargate uh and they they've like taken the wheels off of the map uh for some reason because <laughs> they're like cannibalizing it for for their purposes uh so tilk is like clamping the the alligator clamps onto the wires that are uh wrapped around the stargate uh presumably one of one on each side to make a, an electric circuit uh, and the intent is to, and then they have that meeting up on a little bundle that's on top of one of the wheels of the MALP, and then a cable going from there over to the DHD, and that's like the little MacGyver stuff that they got going on to uh, channel power from the DHD over to the Stargate. Um, and like O'Neill comes back and uh, starts telling uh, Carter about what they found, and uh, she's like, "Oh yeah, what, what was it?" And O'Neill says, "Ah, fancy little light show that might be the answer and the key to our existence and life, the universe, and everything, or something like that." Whatever. Daniel is really into it. <laughs> uh, nerd shit. Yeah, nerd shit. Uh, the military people don't have any time for that. As like the castle is rumbling and dust is falling from the ceiling, which is. Uh, your indication that uh, shit is about to go down bad in this castle. And Oni says, yep, uh, how about we do this a little faster now before this whole thing collapses on us. Um, so they, they Sam futzes around inside the DHD a bit, uh, and then like we see the, the, we hear a little hum from the Stargate, and we see it like the chevrons kind of light up faintly a little bit and you get hey it's it's actually starting to work some power is being directed through through there so we might be on the right track but after a couple seconds it fades off and it turns off so uh whatever they had going doesn't didn't last long and then like uh i guess o'neill hears a rumble and immediately goes look out and yanks uh carter away from the dhd and they both roll down the stairs at there as there's a complete cave-in of the roof over this area uh big rocks fall uh, over where they were standing just a second ago, and they just barely roll out of the way. And then they look back at it, and where the DHD was in, is now a big gaping hole into the ocean. <laughs> so uh, that thing just completely fell away from them, and they don't have it anymore. Um, so, uh, stakes, consider the stakes risen. Uh, they don't have uh, an easy, well, easy, big uh, quotes around it, uh, way to dial the Stargate anymore. Uh, which gives Daniel some more time to nerd out about uh, the shit he's into, um, and he like he looks at the uh, Daniel looks at the the Norse the Nordic runes on the uh, on the wall. And he says he recognizes one of them, which is Othala, the 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 rune that represents uh, the collection of power and knowledge from past generations so uh, he he understands that this is uh, writing that says this is a library, this is a uh, whatever uh, a communal uh, knowledge base for everyone. Repository. Yeah, repository. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
and uh, and Ernest says, you know, it's a little yeah. Ernest does mention like I recognize these runes. Uh, the, this is Norse writing, and it's weird that they would be here on this planet. And uh, this is when Daniel kind of chuckles a little bit and points at it and says. Uh, so Ernest thinks that that means there were humans here that knew about Norse runes that wrote this thing on the wall, and and uh, Ernest says, "No, no, not humans, aliens. This is Thor's race. Uh, this is the Asgard that were here and wrote this," uh, which is what Ernest says. Thor was an alien, uh, <laughs> which uh, yeah, Daniel. Like, oh, that's such a relief. I had been working on the assumption that Hitler was an alien. <laughs> nope, Hitler was human. Uh, Hitler not mentioned in any Stargate that matters at all. I don't think we get Nazis of time travel or no wait sorry we did get we would get space Nazis. We get time travel. Yeah, we get time travel yeah, get time but travel. not to Nazi times and we get not the Nazi times. Yeah. And no Star Trek Nazis. No, I mean there there are space Nazis at some point but it's not uh literally with the armbands and everything, it's just a, a spa- space fascist. Very iconography uh, Nazis but they're the Different galaxy in Atlantis, yeah. so we don't need to worry oh, about them. I, I right wasn't now. even talking about the Janai. There's another episode of SG One where they go to a planet and they're they're Nazis in their own way, but it's it's just a very obvious uh, duplicate. <laughs> oh, so they keep with the snake theme and their Hydra? Uh, yeah, I guess <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a way of putting it. Uh, uh, uh the. T- the Stargate role pl- the Stargate role playing game, which was based on third edition D anD D, which is the weirdest freaking choice mm-hmm. for a Stargate game, mm-hmm. it did have an adventure scenario of a pla- of a planet that some Nazis had gone to, similar oh, to Ernest. Oh, nice! Uh, there, there you go with the origins tie in again. The 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 thing we don't talk about because it never happened. <laughs> because yeah, Stargate Origins is uh, the most recent. <laughs> official big quotes uh stargate product which takes place in the 40s and features nazis that go through the stargate to abydos uh and a young catherine that goes there also uh it's bad uh uh, real quick do they talk about different stargates and different parts of earth in the um, future i was just thinking like did Thor go to ancient Egypt and then no hitchhike his way to the, Norway? The Asgard didn't use the Stargates, as far as I know, because it's not their shit. Um, yeah, they mostly use yeah, ships. Yeah, they have their own ships, and that's presumably how they got to Norway. Um, as far as other Stargates on Earth are concerned, uh, keep that thought in the back of your head. You're going to be satisfied okay. well, come- in not too long. Uh, not this episode, but uh, in a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, so, so why would their humans have a stargate? What? Why? Why would their humans have a stargate? I, which humans are you talking about? Right. The oh, the, the ones Viking on planet. on Samaria. Uh, good question. Yeah, that's it. I don't know. I I guess I guess yeah. They they might have. It seems like instead of building a Thor's hammer mm. to get rid of Goa'uld, they could just get rid of the Stargate. Yeah, that would... Which, I mean, they say that the Goa'uld have their own ships that they can uh-huh. travel with. Yeah, that... Uh, well, but still... I mean, this episode does set it up. The Asgard are allied to the people who first built the Yeah, game. that's the thing. What? Okay, yeah. Okay. The, the, the people who built the Stargate are 
are in that room, so to speak. If you if you, if you want to add me to stay a little vague about it, um, so it was the furlings. The furlings. Oh yeah, for sure. Furlings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's the end of that scene. Uh, so uh, we were back in the in the gate room with a little uh, brainstorm. Where Onya says, okay, uh, back to basics. What do we have? What do we need? And Tilk very pragmatically says, We have the Stargate. We need the dial home device. <laughs> Onya says, like, Yeah, thanks. Thanks for your contribution to this little brainstorm there. Uh, so, yeah, speaking of brainstorms, uh, they, uh, Carter says, uh, The Stargate has ba- basically has capacitors that, uh, like, that amass energy uh, uh, through that powers it. So they just need some kind of electric charge um, to fill up the Stargate's internal battery, basically, uh, and then they could they could they would be able to dial it. Um, and so Olin says, so all we need is electricity, huh? Uh, and Carter says, yeah, well, we don't we don't have there's no outlets on this planet, huh? So that doesn't really help us much with because we're one scene away from O'Neill actually having the idea that gets him out of there. Um, so, uh, back in the, the repository... Uh, Inconsiderate aliens not even leaving an outlet for you to charge your phone. <laughs> yeah, come on. Uh, I guess, like, they, they had direct current, maybe? So, if you plugged your phone into that their wall, it would fry it anyway. Um, it's not very useful. Um but yeah, we so Daniel is getting a little frustrated because he's tra- he's trying to uh, take video of the floating atoms, and he's realizing that uh, these are just atoms floating in uh, in free space above his head, so he doesn't have like a frame of reference to know which way to read this these things. Basically, he doesn't have a page and, and like a, a corner of the page to start on and go down, uh, which is his problem right now. Uh, but Ernest tells him to look down. And Daniel looks at the floor, and there seems to be a nice little dial, like with lines that go all around this room, um, which uh, gives Daniel the idea to uh, measure the distance from the center of the room, the height above the floor, and like the degrees around uh, from a point of reference at the entrance of the room around the the, the circle, and that's three coordinates and three coordinates plus. Uh, a symbol in the air is some kind of order that you can read this in. So uh, this is, yeah, he's figured out. Uh, I guess first step: uh, how do you read this thing? He's like started to figure it out. Um, and then, like, yeah, the rest of the characters enter the room, uh, kind of menacingly, while Daniel is wondering about all this. And he goes, "Hey, what's up?" Uh, Onya says, "Hey, uh, step away from the pedestal." <laughs> um, and uh yeah so they they say you know uh if we don't have a dhd anymore we need a power source for the stargate and this machine is the only electric thing we see in this whole place so uh we kind of need to take it apart and take its power source and daniel is <laughs> very against this idea uh the way he says um no uh he's like yeah this is meaning of life this is more important than uh getting back home alive or anything this is the the, the most important discovery in the history of mankind you can't just take it apart and and break it um just because we need to survive and uh 
And Daniel tries to, like, uh, grasp at straws and says, hey, there's a power source in Teal's staff you could use. Uh, and Carter says, yeah, no, that's not enough juice for a Stargate. Uh, we have to get this thing. Uh, us being alive and going home is more important than reading this stuff, as important as it is. Because, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be kind of the moral of the episode uh, in a, in the scene. Uh, Daniel kind of like bitterly steps away and tells Tilk to just shoot this thing. Um, and Tilk does, and uh, it doesn't even flinch. That thing just stays on, uh, doesn't fall apart or anything, so doesn't seem like there's anything they can do to uh, take this thing apart and take its power source anyway. So I guess the point is moot for the moment. Uh, so this is when um, O'Neill kind of hears the lightning and says, hey, what about that Ben Franklin thing? <laughs> it's just a, a real nice O'Neill-ism um, way to dumb down what he's talking about, which is to use uh, the thunder as electricity. Uh, Thor would be very proud here. Um, but, yeah. I mean, it's not quite that, but that 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 ties back to being it having to be direct. Yeah, right. Because 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 the lightning bolt is extremely direct current. It goes right through you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I guess that would be compatible. Uh, whoever is the science consultant of Stargate, uh, give yourself a round of applause <laughs> for uh, having that direct current line early in the episode and then ending the episode with thunder because that's consistent. Uh, your science holds up, uh, sir or madam. Thank you. Um, so yeah, uh, they say, well, okay, this might just work if we wire, do our thing with the wires wrapped around the Stargate, uh, have the, the wires go all the way up to the roof of the castle and have lightning hit it. Uh, if we're lucky, <laughs> that could, uh, send a, a charge straight through into the Stargate and, uh, then we could dial it. So that's what they do. Uh, uh, so we get Catherine, who was coming back from uh, being with Daniel, and says, tells Ernest that he's he's she can't tear him away from this thing. He's obsessed with it. He doesn't want to stop looking at it now. Um, and he she she tells that to Ernest, and he says, "Oh yeah, the torment of Tantalus." And then he explains uh, the the title of the episode, which is that Tantalus was a mythology mythological figure in Greek mythology who was condemned to stand in water and the water would just recede and go get away from him when, whenever he reached down to drink from it. So he was uh, condemned to endless thirst with water just at, at his fingertips, which is some real dickhead Zeus shit to pull on someone, but that's Zeus for you. Um, so yeah, he, he uses that as a, as a metaphor for Daniel being uh forever tempted to reach into this uh, endless font of knowledge, but just not having the time or the, capa the capacity to uh, read it properly and, uh, you know, absorb it and learn from it because he's too limited by himself. And Ernest, like, knows that that's the case because he's been there for 50 years and he he hasn't been able to do anything with it <laughs> and you know daniel's been there for like an hour and he thinks he can figure it out all, all by himself so maybe he needs to learn a little bit of humility which is you know right in line with the way we've criticized daniel's attitude in past episodes uh as a guy who kind of butts in and says we should do things this way because of uh, anthropology or whatever and it's that he doesn't 
stop and think about the human cost of what he's saying quite quite enough. Uh, so this is like a, a nice little character build up uh, building moment for him. Uh, I just I, I can't guarantee that future episodes won't have him still pull shit like, hey, we should let them treat you like an object, Sam, because this planet they don't respect women. But you know, this is at least theoretically a moment where he learns that this was wrong uh, as a general rule um, and Ernest picks up his uh, big diving suit helmet and heads up to Catherine and says hey this could be put on the roof to attract lightning and this thing clearly weighs a ton and this poor old woman is carrying it and immediately goes over to Teal and says hey pick this up yank this up to the roof please uh, it's gonna attract lightning um so Ernest goes back down and talks to Daniel and tries to convince him to uh, stop looking at the light show and come with them because uh, the the Stargate might not be on for very long uh, when they turn it on. So he, he can't just expect to uh, go there at the last minute. He has to be there when they turn it on and he doesn't want to leave this place. And uh, Ernest uh, tries to get get it across to him that this isn't worth it. Uh, that nothing is worth throwing your life away to 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 study it or anything, and Daniel tries to give him the the, the big-headed ag- academic speech by saying, "Oh, if everyone thought this way, we never civilization would never have gotten anywhere. We needed Marie Curies to figure out radiation by catching radiation poisoning or whatever." Like he's not directly alluding to this, but it's the kind of stuff he's talking about. And like Ernest uh, finally says, "Hey, uh, I've been here fifty years with this thing. I haven't figured it out. I've wasted my life here. Uh, <laughs> so please don't do the same mistake I made. Because if you don't leave with us right now, you're going to be stuck here too, and we don't want that." And uh, Daniel stares Ernest in the eyes and finally uh, seems to snap out of it and understand that no, yeah, maybe going back home is more important because if there's no one to tell about your discoveries uh it's not like it's not going to be of use to anyone so uh now we just have the people in the gate room kind of sitting around waiting for lightning to strike and then lightning does strike uh uh, we see the 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 electricity go right into the stargate and the the chevrons light up uh, and and carter says still to start dialing it uh uh, no, so, so Daniel isn't quite convinced because we get back to that scene and uh, Daniel tries to say to Ernest, like, what you did was courageous. And, uh, and Ernest says, no, it was stupid. I was stuck here all this time. I never should have left home. I would have been with Catherine all this time. You need to go home. And like, like if they don't mention, because I don't think Daniel has mentioned his wife to him, but like you can like infer from that that, you know, if he stays here, he's never going to see Shara again. Um I'm the reason why next time they opened this thing, they went and found a bunch of assholes with nothing to live for. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, O'Neill goes over to get Daniel and tries to get, to, you know, to, like, yells at him, basically, come with us, this isn't worth it, you just, just come with us. He, he ends up physically yanking, yanking him away from this thing. And Daniel is still kicking and screaming about wanting to stay, uh, which is apparently enough to get O'Neill to relent. Uh, and lets him go. And Daniel just like walks back to the pedestal and takes one last look at the flying atoms. Um, 
picks up all the notes he uh, Ernest journal I guess which was on the ground and deci- finally decides to run off um, which is just in time because just off off screen I guess Teal'c has spun the gate around enough to uh, to dial Earth and the Stargate is on now uh, so they start by uh, letting uh, Ernest and uh, Catherine walk through it then they have Teal'c and Carter walk through it, and then uh, at the last second, uh, Daniel and Jack walk walk uh, run back out of the the library room as the castle is collapsing around them, and we see a big old beam fall from the ceiling as they're diving towards the Stargate, and then we're on, back on Earth, and uh, they say that the wormhole is starting to destabilize, which is indicating that, that it's about to shut down, and they, they haven't come through the Stargate yet, and they're just kind of staring at it, and we, we see, like, a, a nice shot of um, the Stargate kind of fizzling, because, you know, they had to turn it on in a weird way it wasn't designed for, so it's not working quite correctly. Um, but yeah, we, we get back to the planet, and after having been been thrown to the ground by this falling uh, beam ceil- fallen beam ceiling, they get back up and uh, run and dive through the Stargate, which I believe is one of the shots from the opening of the show. Uh, <laughs> and they get through just in, an, in the nick of time and make it back home. And everyone is fine and back home, except, you know, Daniel doesn't have his uh, nice Secrets of the Universe room to analyze. <laughs> sadly but at least he's alive uh so like we cut to, to the next day or something and they they try to dial the stargate back to that planet and it's not working it doesn't establish a connection so we're to assume that the stargate was destroyed by the hurricane and none of that place uh exists anymore now unfortunately but you know that tells us that if daniel has stayed there he would be dead now so it's good that he came back with his life he ne- he never would have even figured out this thing if he was dead right which is like the the moral the moral to this this whole little fable is that uh keeping yourself alive more important than that um uh, <laughs> and yeah, Ernest says, uh, look on the bright side, if if you go out there and you end up meeting those aliens, you can ask them all about it and they'll explain it to you. And Catherine says, I, and you better let us know about it this time. Uh, and Daniel promises that they will and Ernest gives him a hug and... Uh, like I, I don't know if they actually will let them know about it when this happens because uh I mean we know one of them is just kind of passive aggressive. Right. <laughs> um but like yeah uh these like Catherine is gonna appear twice more over the course of the show, but it's gonna be like different versions of Catherine, so it's not gonna be like a continuation from this Catherine that has been reunited with Ernest. So uh it's not we're not gonna we're never gonna like catch back up with her except in some uh, offhand line of uh, offhanded lines of dialogue that imply that she's just uh, retired and living with the rest of her days with Ernest uh, and I think at some point they're going to mention that she died off screen like way later in this in the series uh, I could be r- wrong about that but I think that's the case and that's it for the episode although imagine being er- uh, the fact that Ernest just came effectively like was gone for, for since the mm-hmm. 40s He's coming back and it's like all, 
Oh shit! <laughs> you can't go out. You can't go out there. You need so many vaccines, oh, yeah. and you're old enough. They might just. Oh kill yeah, you. that's that's <laughs> well, that's the whole thing, right? Uh, you need like uh, yeah, bumps and stuff, and you know, uh, we need to catch him. Like all, all this, all the jokes they do with uh, Teal'c learning about human civilization, they basically <laughs> have to do that with Ernest too. It's uh, yeah, well, it's a little bit like the Captain America jokes where he's been frozen since the forties. Uh, yeah. Uh, but we don't get any of that because, uh, yeah, well, we're never going to see, never them, again, gonna see so. them again. But it's it's nice to know that they got their little happy ending there. Um, that's the end of the episode. We have some questions that we're going to go through pretty quick because it's getting late. We're recording this a little late on a different day than we're used to. Uh, but uh, here we are. Uh, first question by Aurora Borealis. What horrible ironic punishment would you receive in Tartarus? Oh God! Um. <laughs> I mean, my torment of Tantalus would be to uh, have to be running a podcast and to always have people. Okay, this is good. no, no. I, I the way I was about to say it sounds like I'm shitting on my wonderful uh, podcast mates and the people recording this with me. Uh, it's just you know. <laughs> sometimes getting people well, well, there there was a there was a struggle to get this episode uh-huh, done yeah. yes so, so so the struggle <laughs> is to get people together sometimes to record a podcast and like my ironic punishment would be to always have people ready to go the next day and then uh, a scheduling conflict comes up and they can't make it that we have to reschedule the next day like forever for eternity uh, that would be mine <laughs> how about you do you have any other bright ideas for uh, terrible things <laughs> uh, my torment would be that I would always be sleepy but anytime I fall asleep uh, I would stop breathing <laughs> so I wouldn't get any rest oh and oh wait yeah I'm that's in that's hell. Uh, that's that's just called uh, sleep apnea and they make CPAP machines for that good thing they didn't, they didn't have that back in ancient Greece but they do now at least uh, <laughs> yeah that that's pretty uh, bad that's uh, yeah I mean at least at least there's a big noisy machine that goes on your face that you're supposed to sleep with uh, I I mean I've got the full mm-hmm. mask one so at least I can pretend I'm a fighter pilot oh, while nice. I sleep. Uh, I was a jerk as a kid and made, called my dad Darth Vader for his. <laughs> I mean, that's what kids do. My 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 kids gave me an okay boomer a while ago, and I haven't recovered from it since. Uh, it's, it's it's our job <laughs> as old people to fade away and <laughs> let the kids take over the world, I guess. Um, uh, okay, if you got the ability to control electricity, what would be the first silly or fun thing to do with it? Oh, uh, I mean, the, 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 I mean, the, I mean, I don't know if it's silly or fun, but I would never like run out of battery on my phone or anything ever again, which would be real handy, like going camping and never, uh, just always having that. Uh, that's just like plain useful. Um, I don't, yeah, just, just being able to charge anything and that's just very yeah. handy you know you know that static shock is all about that stuff like he he just keeps his phone charged up all the time uh, speaking of him that 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 metallic surfboard that he uses to to make that he makes fly with electricity is pretty cool might try that out if i had his powers um don't know if there's i i feel like the physics are a little fog questionable on yeah. that one i mean you know 
electricity and magnetism are the same thing, basically. So I get, I get the idea behind it. I don't know if, if you could get it to repulse from the Earth's magnetic field the way he does, or the way like Magneto does. Um, but anyway, I guess Magneto just has like metal kinesis. It's not even like necessarily magnetic because he can just make. No, no, it's ma- it's full on magnetism, yeah. and he's done some real bullshit with it. <laughs> yeah, because they just treat it as he has like telekinetic powers over metal. He can, he can, he can do whatever the hell he wants if, as long as the writer can find a way to fit the word magnetism. Right, in exactly. Um, Although I did like the one story where Ultimate Magneto was like the most of the story was dumb, but the base premise of. I'm going to fuck shit up by moving the magnetic poles of the <laughs> nice. planet. Um, I would uh, turn into uh, a human Tesla coil and then try to get really famous on uh, YouTube by uh, playing music <laughs> with the Tesla coil effects. Nice. Um, I would, would, I would definitely just, just, just pettily shock people. Yeah, just these, these little static shock. I mean, <laughs> yeah. First thing I would do is probably uh, recreate some scenes from Ernest Goes to Jail <laughs> when he uh, gets zapped by the electric chair and instead of dying, he gets electric right. powers and calls himself right. Electro Man. Uh, yeah, as happens in comedies and comic books. Um, <clears throat> third question from the same tweet. What would be a neat time period to set SG one in instead of the mid nineties? Uh, was I? I was. I almost want to. Okay, so there was Stargate Infinity, which was uh, like the Stargate cartoon but, that took place in the future, but that was dumb. Uh, <laughs> Stargate Time Force. Yeah, basically uh, non-canon as hell. So we don't even need to think about it. Uh, I, I think like the forties is it'll been there done that you know fighting nazis with space and stuff it's uh you know at this point it's pretty much cliche i don't know what else would be cool because like the mid 90s is just the best place to have any kind of sci-fi setting yeah honestly <laughs> the the 90s and the aughts are pretty much the perfect time for st- for stargate uh-huh. like you, you go too much further and uh well the Politics around it start getting real ugly. Yeah. Start looking yeah, yeah, real yeah. ugly, and you go much further back, and it's like, well, then you're going into Cold War stuff, and yeah, that, that then you're having like different all sorts of different problems with it because like then it's a matter of like, well, what what are you what are you showing of the world to the rest of the mm-hmm. universe, and the the mostly peace the mostly peaceful. Uh, not 90s is like it's yeah okay we can we can deal with this mm-hmm. yeah so it's, i am going it's not to perfect uh, but it's i'm going to give a rocky DeSantos answer uh stargate sg1 set during viking yeah. times and it's a group of vikings who had their friends kidnapped by the <laughs> old so they're going through different stargates trying to get their buddies yeah, back that's cool and kicking ass yeah, along the way, and they and like the the finale is when they meet Thor. Yeah, <clears throat> that'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, it would be pretty cool. That 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 would actually be I, really. Cool. I almost like the 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 thing that like it would be cool to have a Stargate show set in ancient times where, with some kind of like 
resistance against Ra in ancient Egypt and people going through the Stargate and trying to mount a resistance in like, in like the lead up to the revolution that, that, that led to them burying the Stargate. That, they could be cool stories being said there. And I almost want to say I heard that at one point there was some kind of show, a pitch for something like that, but I could be wrong about that. It just sounds like an, an idea that I've seen floated around somewhere before. Uh, that could have been cool. Uh, the other one that I always hear about is a, a show set after all this where uh, they make the Stargate uh, stuff go public uh, on Earth and uh, everyone knows about it and whatever that means for Earth society at that point. So that could also be cool. I mean, I, that, that would, I could see a pit, pitch for that where you actually start ha- where the public knows about mm-hmm. the Stargates and you start having corporations try and replicate the tax ta- yeah. and it so you have like multiple multiple groups on Earth all using Stargates right. at the, all using Stargates at the same time connecting to the network separately basically, and hijinks that ensue. Yeah, basically there. have the Earth plots from Stargate SG One, but like more in the open than it was before. The, like it's the it's the main plots as yeah. opposed to like your. I, I I know that the complications from the yeah, main plot. The pitch for the third Stargate SG One movie that was canceled was uh like uh they they would reveal the Stargate to everyone. So that was going to be like the basis of the, the final SG-1 movie that never got made because MGM de- declared bankruptcy uh, right around where they were planning to make it. So that... That makes a lot of, se- that makes a lot yeah. of sense with how the other two movies yeah. are set up. I don't want to get into too much of it because that's spoilers, mm-hmm. but that does take care of their the third plot point that the movie, those two movies yeah, left exa- un- yeah, exactly. untouched. Um, so yeah. That's that's for that. Okay, uh, Chinchi McChilla asks, what's your favorite crazy theory that turns out to be right type plot twist, similar to Daniel being right about aliens, or Atlantis being real all along, or Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day, etc.? Uh, I don't know, crazy theory that turns out to be right. Uh, I, I almost feel I can't name a single movie that does this, but I feel like it's been done in a movie where you have a fairly mundane plot and some crazy like comic relief character has a way out their theory about what's going on with it and it turns out he's right. I Cabin in the Woods wasn't that, was it? But it's like Nah, no, I really I almost feel like it's something that's been done and it's like when it when it's almost played for laughs, it's pretty cool. But it it has to it it can also be a stupid joke that doesn't land well. So um I have a hard time thinking of other examples of this stuff. Um I mean, it's it's not really how ha- how it's presented, but that's kind of how the what the bad guys plot in Black Panther is. Yeah, yeah. He he he, he had these like he he had this proof of this thing that no one else b- believed about yeah, Wakanda. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And then like set about exposing it mm-hmm. and taking it down from the taking it over from yeah. the inside. Yeah, I'm thinking also of the movie. Uh, the Day After Tomorrow, which is another Roland Emmerich movie, uh, third one being mentioned here, because like every Roland Emmerich movie has a scientist who turns out to be right all along about the disaster, and that one is about climate change. I think 2012 is also that, but after about the 2012 apocalypse, because that's the only plot Roland Emmerich is capable of of telling. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, these are all like, uh, I, huh? Yeah, no, that's. That was also Godzilla. Yeah, because in Godzilla, it's uh, is it Jean Reno or he's he's the French special? No, it's Matthew I, Broderick who has the theory about 
Matthew yeah. Roderick has yeah, to be, yeah. 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 Um, bonus, what's your crazy pet theory you want to be right? Uh, that the queen is dead. That's just I just like the meme too much, even though it's not. It's it's almost definitely not true. It's just too funny if uh, the joke that the queen has been dead for a while now, and they're just hiding it and like having a weekend at Bernie's thing with her corpse. Uh, that's my favorite kind of inoffensive conspiracy theory that I don't actually believe, but I think it's fun to joke about. Um, <laughs> uh, now I do have a I do have a pet conspiracy mm-hmm. theory. It's a Bit re- it's a bit weird, but all right. So er, in the in the early nineties and late eighties, the standard robotic competitions for off- navigation navigating obstacle mm-hmm. courses. Then in the late nineties and early two thousands, there with robot wars and battle bots, there was a turn to making them com- making it. Ro- oh, you're combat. saying that all those robot dogs with guns things. And then after the after the after we started moving more towards with drone mm-hmm. combat. Then we've started going back towards obstacle course navigations, and those have been the combat ones have been left by the mm-hmm. wayside. As the people who participated in those would be would be in the development of drones uh-huh. now. Yeah, yeah. There's there is kind of like sorry. It's, it it's like not like full on thing, but it's like oh, huh, that's weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, there is kind of a through line through all this where you know. There was that video go- that I saw going around just today of, you know, those robot dogs that everyone has been saying are going to be used to shoot guns that is actually being tested to shoot a gun now. So there you go. Black Mirror yeah. is happening. Everyone and have fun I'm, with that. Um, I mean, it's not like they don't already have, you know, drones yeah. that can Yeah, fire they do guns. that. You're right. Uh, I, yeah. And I mean, ones that don't have these stability issues that the dog mm-hmm. ones have because it would fire yeah. one round and then completely go off target <laughs> uh who knows where that's gonna lead us just one of the many apocalypses threatening us and life on earth every single day i say from a heat wave that's making my life miserable and even making people in the uk's life even more miserable right now um okay ah uh, yeah so on that bummer, last question from Chelsea. <laughs> How would you cope with being stranded completely alone in a place for what increasingly seems like the rest of your life? Wow. Uh, badly, I think. That would be pretty bad. Uh, I think, all things considered, Ernest uh, stayed pretty well adjusted in this episode. Because <laughs> he got back on top of things pretty quickly once he started talking to SG-1 and uh, helping them out and stuff and con- successfully convincing Daniel to uh, let go of his little obsession of the week to save his own life. So uh, probably I would be doing worse than that. Um, I don't know if I'd find a way to feed myself, for starters. I don't know which mushrooms are poisonous, uh, <laughs> especially on an alien planet. Um... Yeah, I mean, Ernest had it right. Step one, yeah, get naked. Yeah, if as, like, no, uh, as soon as you r- realize that there's no social uh, boundaries anymore and you're completely alone, just just live your best life and let it hang. Uh, yeah, that's 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 the uh, life for you. I I just hope it was warm enough on this planet that he was 
uh, comfortable being naked as he was because it it looked pretty stormy. I mean, the very first thing they said uh, after getting out of the gate was saying that it was really hot. Okay, yeah. So, so at least he w- he must have been comfortable in that. I guess I guess like with the storm coming up, it, it's high humidity and it would it would be really uh, damp and uncomfortable. So. Uh, and uh, honest, honestly, if the only clothes he's got is that diving uh-huh. suit. It's... Oh yeah, that's that's real bulky. No, he, I mean he had to have clothes beh- under that, even though we don't see them. Uh, they probably got ripped to shreds like decades ago at this point. But you know, I mean he had a decent uh, pelt going mm-hmm. on. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, pretty hairy. Uh, now. I, I, Which is I why I would be safe. <laughs> I, I work nights in a gr- in an apartment in a grocery store by mm-hmm. myself, and you know, having not really been able to go out for the la- do anything on my days off for the last mm-hmm. two years, it's no, it's not. No, yeah, sure, I have the in- internet and I do have like people at mm-hmm. at home, but it's like all oh, it's I, I I get the not seeing anyone because I would go I would go for like days at a time where my partners are asleep during or sleep when mm-hmm. i get home and are and are going to bed when i'm mm-hmm. going to work so yeah i get that it's not 50 years and it's not complete it's not social isolation that, but, but you it's know. like oh, <laughs> but it's like oh it's it's it sucks but it's like oh you I could the, the other thing i'd probably go similar cra- similar levels to crazy yeah, than he did yeah yeah did. for sure uh the other thing I, i'm i'm wondering about is ernest was there long enough to uh, shed the the, fe- the need he feels to wear clothes at any time, but he kept shaving apparently for these fifty years, <laughs> which is you know, uh, unless he went so bald that he also lost his entire beard. I don't know. I don't know if that's possible. But I don't. I don't think that's no, how that works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, gu- I guess that th- those forties uh, uh, grooming habits are go go deep and are hard to let go of uh being seen with a beard back back in those days was uh not common i guess <laughs> he kept that going with him uh even though he was naked anyway uh so that's it for questions thank you uh, sorry now, now i'm wondering like what 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 would he use to shave with there everything is like a rock well, it's a sharp rock i guess it's probably it's probably not great Sharp rock and water because he doesn't have any foam or soap or anything, presumably. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess over 50 years, he must have gotten really good at it to not have his face covered in cuts from shaving. Um, yeah. Uh, so thank you for these this large number of questions that we got this week. Um, you can send questions to uh, the Twitter, which is at Jaffa Takes. Uh, under the tweet where I ask for questions at every episode. You can also send emails to jaffatakespodcast at gmail.com if you feel like it. Uh, you can see my personal Twitter at the real Simben. Uh, a little housekeeping note, we're going to have a short hiatus as I go off camping for a week. Uh, I'm going to miss the next one or two recordings of this show. So uh, I don't know yet if we're, I'm going to be able to have one made uh, like as soon as I get back from camping, so it's, that's why it might be there might be a second week where there's no episode, but uh, there, I'm gonna skip at least one. Um, so uh, join us in two or three weeks for the next episode, which is gonna be Bloodlines. Um, also, we step into the second half of uh, season one. We're at exactly the halfway point of that season now. Um, so uh, we're gonna sign off now because it's getting late. Uh, Eric, is there anything you want to plug? 
uh, check out the Anime Sickos podcast. Thank you. Thank you. That's it. Uh, M, anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, you can find me at M of Healy on Twitter. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, yeah. sorry. Was there anything else that I interrupt you? Okay. No. Cool. Go on. <clears throat> all right. Go to bed, everyone. Uncreate. <laughs>